the Blaze Radio Network. On demand. Glenn Beck. Is it just me or are we all seeing the world entirely political? That's it. That's the only lens we have now. It's just political. Only politics. Love, art, music, movies, cars, everything. Political. This is the world the postmodernists want us to live in. This is the new social justice movement. It's postmodern. The personal is political, and the political is personal. Everything people see has some political meaning. Cartoons. We saw this with the latest news from Thomas the Tank Engine. I'm not kidding you. Thomas the Tank, the creators, went to the U.N., and said, how can we make this correct with the political views of the U.N.? I don't know if Thomas occasionally identifies as Thomasina, but it's coming. Sports destroyed. Food, everything, everything the social justice driven postmodernist sees is political. Video games are now taking a hit lately, too. And usually the people who throw these tantrums to insist that there be handicapped women in a historically accurate video game about World War Two, excuse me, or people who, you know, throw the fit that there aren't enough pansexual women of color on Thomas the Tank Engine usually don't even play the video games or watch the cartoons. They just feel a need to impose their view on every aspect of life. Yesterday, the book uh, that I've been working on for quite some time, Addicted to Outrage, came out. And as if on cue, yesterday afternoon, it shouldn't have been a surprise to hear the news that a writer from Sesame Street claims that Bert and Ernie are gay. (sighs) Sesame Street, a show for children about counting, has been sexually used now in an act of political arrogance. Mark Salzman, who wrote for the show from 1984 to 1998, said during an interview with something called Queerity that he always considered Bert and Ernie a loving couple. Okay, I, I, I think they're loving to each other as well. That doesn't mean they're doing the nasty, you know. As soon as they go to Pan down to Oscar the Grouch, quick to the garbage can, because they're making out. He even mentions that one time a kindergartner asked him about it. We can assume this example of a recent phenomenon called woke kids, where adults ascribe adult ideas, usually about the president, to children. As if to say, see, this idea is so pure and so right that children get it. When in reality, the idea comes from a self-righteous person who is politicizing children. Although we can't confirm that in this case, Salzman, who is gay, said, I always felt that without a huge agenda, when I was writing Bert and Ernie, they were gay. I didn't have any other way to contextualize them. The other thing was more than one person referred to Arnie and I as Bert and Ernie. Oh, well, then that makes it true. Thank God officials from Sesame Street stepped in with some sanity. Their statement, as we have always said, Bird and Ernie are best friends. They were created to teach preschoolers that people can be good friends with those who are very different from themselves. See, one does this all the time. 
and the other one is angry. Even though they're identified as male characters and possess many human traits and characteristics, as most Sesame Street Muppets do, and I love that they actually said this in a press release, they remain puppets! (laughs) Puppets! And they do not have sexual orientation! This is the world we're living in. A major company had to spell that out. They're puppets. Therefore, they don't have anything. Nothing in their pants. In other news, and I'm not making this up, a a transgendered stripper is claiming that Wheaties are pansexual. More on that. As the broadcast continues. How do we... How do we not... How do we control our outrage? How do yeah, we, Mr. Addicted uh, to Outrage. Were you just screaming about puppets? Is that what was I going mean, on uh, there? Yeah, I, that, okay, uh, okay, so this... this. Uh, okay, did you see Frank Oz? Did you see what Frank Oz... What? Here's Frank Oz. He's Yoda. Okay? Frank Oz is Yoda. He created the character. He voiced the character. Mm. He's Yoda. He Yoda, also a well-known pansexual, by the way. Right. Mm-hmm. He, he also is the creator of, you know, uh, the eagle. What's that? Eagle, Bert the Eagle, or whatever he is. Uh, Bert and Ernie, um, uh, Animal. I think he did Miss Piggy. Okay, he's been there since the beginning. So, he writes about the writer, Saltzman. He tweets this yesterday. It seems Mr. Mark Saltzman was asked if Burton and Ernie are gay. It's fine that he feels they are. They're not, of course, but why the question? Does it really matter? Why the need to define people only as gay? There's so much more to being a human being than just straightness or gayness. Oh, my gosh. gosh. We have to destroy Frank Oz now. Did you hear what he just said? Yes. Oh, my gosh. Okay, so Tom writes in, um, why are they not gay? I'm not arguing. I'm just wondering. Why are they not gay? (laughs) Well, there's a couple of reasons. They're puppets, for one. (laughs) Second... Because they're not. They're just not. I don't know. Why are you gay? Uh, He said, because I created Bert. I know what and who he is. Then somebody else chimes in. You may have created him, but you don't seem to realize or appreciate what he meant to thousands of little boys growing up. You digging your heels in uh, with uh, with what seems like disgust is disappointing frank writes how odd you see my feelings as disgust if your feelings are being perceived as disgust it's because you're so adamant that they're not gay he's the creator of them it's him he's the one he knows he created them as best friends who live together who have it's the odd couple was the odd couple, was that a gay couple? 
you remember the show at all? The Neil Simon, uh, you know, uh, Oscar Madison and uh, Felix Unger. Yeah, and they just brought it back, too. So um, at least yeah, is it, yeah, was it was a bad an insult. Yeah. So <laughs> so uh, this is they're not gay. They live together. That's what the, those two are are reminiscent of. Two people that don't agree that live together. What a concept. Maybe we should stop listening and worrying about if they were gay and let's just concentrate on, wait a minute, they were created for what? To show that two people who disagree with each other, who aren't like one another, can live side by side. No, Frank, you're wrong, and I need to shut you up. Boy, did you miss the point of Bert and Ernie. <laughs> so he goes on. Uh, he writes, um, uh, the, uh, so Ben writes and says, uh, representation matters, Frank. Frank says, yes, it does. When it's an honest representation what would you make the representation of these two characters as gay, honest? Do we need to see them bang? If a mother tells me her son's roommate is actually his partner, I don't say, that's not an honest representation. Whew. Frank says, well, okay, it really doesn't matter. What matters is that people see positive views of themselves and others in Burton Ernie. Wait. But isn't it dishonest to call them just brothers or friends? I thought this was about honesty. Oh, my gosh. It's important for characters to be explicitly declared queer because the mainstream will quote them as straight by default. Agreed, Frank writes, when a character is created to be (laughs) queer, it is important that the character be known as such. It's also important when a character who was not created queer to be accepted as such. Oh, my gosh. I, 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 I want out. 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 Okay, so here's the thing. So I'm, 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 you know, just writing down some thoughts. And I think about all of the joy that Sesame Street has brought all of us and brought me in particular. I used to love watching the Muppets. Sometimes I still do. Uh, And I started thinking about all of the joy of Frank Oz. And then I started to think of, uh, you know, uh, Jim Henson. And then I remembered, you know, Kermit the Frog. And I I was like, oh, man, I love Kermit the Frog. He is... He is so great, right? And then I started thinking about the Rainbow Connection. And I, I wanted to look up, I wanted to play the song and, and listen to the words. Why are there so many songs about rainbows and what's on the other side? Because rainbows are vision, but only illusions. And rainbows have nothing to hide. Right. So we've been told, and some choose to believe it. But I know they're wrong. Just wait and see. Someday we'll find it 
the Rainbow Connection, the Lovers, the Dreamers, and me. Okay. Okay, so, all right. Okay, so, all right. That made me happy. And I thought, oh, there's uh, there's kind of a lesson to be learned there. I should have stopped there. I should have stopped there. But instead, because I have iTunes music, I noticed that there's other people who have sung the Rainbow Connection. For instance... Uh, other people? You mean the first person? The first one was a frog, right? So this would be the first... These well, would be... no, the, I mean, if you want to be technical, it was okay. a puppet! And it was Jim Henson that sang the song. That seems like... And then I thought, oh, this might be nice to hear. I, I didn't know Sarah McLaughlin did it. It doesn't even sound like her, does it? No. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, that, ooh, that's that's not good. Gwen Stefani what? did a uh, a uh, rainbow connection as as well, and she kind of sounds a little something like this. Okay, now I thought, no, no, I can't handle. Oh, wait a minute. Oh, the Carpenters did a... Hmm. Oh, my gosh. Oh, boy. Why are there so <laughs> Come on. Okay, how about Kenny Loggins did uh, Rainbow Connection? Um... You go to Kenny Loggins, you can go to uh, uh, Ben Martin, you can go... Here's my... No, this is... We don't need any no, no, more no. versions no, no, of no. this song. No, 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 no. You need this one. This is... This one's just... Why are there so many... Willie Nelson. Okay, so I just, I just, I just want you to know. <clears throat> there are many things to be outraged by. Many things to be outraged by. You could be outraged that they are straight instead of gay. But then there are real reasons to be outraged. The Rainbow Connection should only be sung in the voice of Kermit the Frog, period. No one else should do it. And I am taking a very hard stand on that. So that's a legitimate outrage. Cause that you, one is legitimate. You talk about in the book that there are some things that you should be outraged about. Yes. And you're and identifying. That one is, yes. Forget about the Supreme Court. Okay. Forget about, forget about the Supreme Court. Forget about what that means for justice for our children going forward. Forget about that. And Bert and Ernie being gay? No. <laughs> the outrage that we should be concentrating on is the Rainbow Connection. There's only one version, and there should always remain only one version. <laughs> All right, so the U.S. government has charged a North Korean man for the 2014 cyber assault on Sony. Did, how did they find this guy? I mean, I know how they found this guy, I mean, obviously. But, I mean, he's North Korean. It's not like you're looking up his social security number. How, how are you finding who this guy really is? He was part of a team of hackers called the Lazarus Group who repeatedly tried to breach U.S. businesses with ransomware cyber attacks. They finally got it through to Sony, 
And the employees there were uh, tricked by these links that were sent to them by Facebook and Twitter, and it contained this North Korean-controlled malware. They were screwed, and there was nothing they could do. There's so many threats in today's connected world. It takes one weak link, and criminals get in. That's why there's new LifeLock Identity Theft Protection that has added the power of Norton Security to help protect you against the threats to your identity and to your devices that you can't easily see or fix on your own. Nobody can stop all cyber threats, prevent all identity theft, or monitor all transactions at all businesses. But the new LifeLock with Norton Security can see threats you might miss on your own. So go to LifeLock.com and use one uh, or call 1-800-LIFELOCK. 1-800-LIFELOCK. Use the promo code BECK. Either place, you get an extra 10% off your first year. Plus, you're going to get a $25 Amazon gift card with annual enrollment. Promo code back. Terms and conditions apply. LifeLock.com. Welcome to the program. Glad you're here. Yesterday, I was uh, with the Daily Wire uh, with uh, with Andrew Clavin and Ben Shapiro and Jeremy Boring and... Uh, uh, and uh, Michael Knowles, uh, who should be fired immediately, but that's a different story. Um, and we did a, a backstage thing where it was 90 minutes or so of uh, just sitting around, uh, just talking about the news and, and, and life. This group is so smart uh, and so sharp and so funny. It was, uh, it was a lot of fun. And it was on Facebook. It's uh, you can find it on my Facebook page or uh, the Blaze Facebook page. Anything I should know about? Uh, like, because I wasn't there for the taping, and I'm just curious if there's anything that I'm going to have know. to be dealing with for, let's say, the rest of my life. There was, uh, or at least my career, which probably will be over very soon. There was according to some reports that I've heard. The use of a bong, uh, and uh, yeah. There was the. <laughs> so I thought California. it was funny because I'm not, I'm not, I you know I don't smoke and I don't drink, and uh, we are in California, so I thought it would be funny to uh, at some point, and it takes almost the full ninety minutes for me to find exactly the right place. They had no idea <laughs> I had gone to a, a, a dispensary here. Uh, well, say you went to a dispensary. Well, yeah, okay, well, I didn't, yeah. <laughs> you know. You sent your minions, <laughs> my minions to, to a dispensary. And, uh, and I did. they did look at me weirdly, weirdly when I said, uh, I need you to go uh, and find a place where you can buy a bong. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're <laughs> in California. Right. It was right down the street. It was like half a block oh, we've away. Walked by, I've walked by several of them since oh, I've been you? here. Yeah. So uh, they told me that the bong buying experience was a little weird. Um, and none of us really knew how to use a... A modern bong who... A modern <laughs> bong. God. <laughs> you are cool. I, know, I, <laughs> I don't know. know how to explain it to you. I know. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah that, that's a moment I need to see. Yeah. And there are several others I've heard uh, uh, that were interesting. I heard it was great, actually. Really, yeah, it was really, really funny. Uh, really well, funny. I'm on with Andrew Clavin, I think, today. Yeah, me um, too. And uh, Michael Knowles as well for me today. I'm excited about doing those yeah, two. Yeah, and I'm uh, with... Um, uh, Adam Carolla, is it this week or next week? Cool. Um, and there's a couple. I'm doing a couple of other shows today, so if they're you know all top twenty or uh, or so podcasts. So if you listen around, we're we're doing all podcasts, all alternative media, right? Yeah, I, yeah, I can't tell you. So get stop with the media, and then go on the media. I'm not, I'm not stop with the media. <laughs> the, the, it's it, their their time has passed. 
Their time has passed. Um, all right. Back in just a second with more on Kavanaugh and also the latest outrage. We are uh, doing a uh, Glenn Beck podcast this weekend. It's uh, an extra. If you subscribe to the Glenn Beck radio show and the podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts um, on the weekend. And in fact, this weekend or next weekend, you're going to be getting two of these. Um, you get an extra show. So on Saturday, you will receive the Glenn Beck podcast, which this week is an interview with a guy that most people have not heard of. And I think he is fascinating. I, I brought him in because I wasn't sure who he was. Um, I started reading his book, uh, Springtime for Snowflakes. And he was a he's a former what he describes as a libertarian communist in the interview. I asked him what? The, how does that work? Uh, and he had an, a, a really quite interesting answer. Uh, but he has worked in the university system his whole life, and he has been part of deconstruction, and he knows the postmodern movement inside and out. He has been part of the radical Marxist uh, left until recently. And he talks a little bit about what happened to him and why he woke up. Let me give you cut one here. He begins to wake up. Yeah, uh, it was a Twitter. It was, I'm sorry, it was a Facebook post that I made. It was a joke. Uh, there's a student at the University of Michigan who posted, when asked by the university or given the right to, to uh, use any pronoun he wanted and to enter it into the system under his profile, chose, quote, his majesty. I thought it was hilarious. <laughs> and uh, so I posted, I simply posted a link to that article, having, you know, thousands of uh, leftist friends, a lot of trans friends at that time. And the uh, vitriol, the outrage, the hysteria was just unbelievable. Why? They called me everything from a transphobe to a... Uh, to committing discursive violence, a phrase I will explain later. <laughs> yes, please. Uh, and uh, of treason, uh, you know, on and on and on, just for posting a link to an article with no comment. And I said, this is, this is unbelievable. And then I realized that everybody was, everybody was kowtowing to this kind of ideological pressure. Everybody I knew. Uh, they were all careful not to say something that would offend this crowd. Uh, this trans crowd and this social justice crowd, and they were so scary. So he goes on then to uh, start his his own Twitter handle, and it was, uh, what was it, uh, Deplorable NYU Professor. Now, here's a guy who is a published communist. He has written white papers widely distributed for communists. He's respected by the left and everybody else. He decides, okay, this is getting out of hand, and he decides to start writing Twitter posts. Here's what happened next. I had an NYU student newspaper reporter contact me and said, you know, these tweets are really something else. Uh, are you really an NYU professor? This was through a direct message, and I said yes. And so she asked me if I would sit down for an interview. And I said, yes. I wasn't sure I would go on the record, but I, I would talk to her. So we did that. And after I was done talking to her, I thought, there's, there's really nothing. What I've said here needs to be said. And I actually want to put my name on it, frankly, um, because I think it's, there's, there's nothing objectionable in some, you know, there's nothing fundamentally abhorrent 
or mm. deplorable about it. <laughs> it's right. just it's just another viewpoint, and it's right. a vantage point I think needs to be aired. And that that went in the paper. Uh, she took a picture of me laughing, and that made the heresy, you know, somewhat yeah, redoubled. Uh, and then all hell broke loose on, uh, within my university. Uh, you were called in the middle of a class, were you not? I was called out in the middle of the class by the dean and said, you know, can you come over to see me? He, and I said, sure. <laughs> and I kind of had an idea what it was about. Yeah. Although I was saying that this really is happening. I'm being called uh, in for my political views. And so I go over and uh, he comes up really close to me, about, pulls me into the office. I come into the office. He pulls me real close with, by a handshake, you know, Michael. I want you to know this has nothing to do with your Twitter account or of the publicity you're getting. I said, oh, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> sure, sure. And then he said just after that. Wait, hang on before this. Yeah. You are a well-liked professor. Well-liked. You're, I was well-liked. Students love me. My student, you know, the evaluations are very high. Right. I mean, I have done everything you're supposed to do. And you were you, liked by your peers up until the, this? Most of my colleagues liked me. Okay, all right. There was a few that didn't. That's sure, fine. That's, it's yeah. always going to happen. Right. And I had done everything that an academic is supposed to do. Published mm-hmm. widely, committee work, all that stuff. Yep, yep. I was a good citizen, okay? <laughs> I said the wrong thing. Right. <laughs> so, right. Uh, and then he said, no, um, have a seat, and if you don't mind... I would like the head of human resources to join us. Uh oh. <laughs> but this has nothing to do with what you. We just need to have a talk. Turns out that his um, he is presented with a choice. We're very concerned about you. We think these tweets, and this has nothing to do with the tweets, but we think these tweets are a cry for help. And your coworkers are beginning to be concerned about your mental health. So we could either deal with this publicly and fire you, or you could just take a medical leave of absence. So basically agree with them that he's going crazy. Here he is on why it was important to talk about this. Cut three. I said this from the beginning uh, when Trump uh, got into office or before he got into office even. Oh, I guess it was after when they they founded the resistance. I said the resistance would be far worse than Trump. And I think that's been the case. I mean, the resistance is really unhinged and it's it's fueled by all kinds of uh, ideological error i think and it's fueled by a conviction an absolute conviction of total moral certainty and that's what's scary when people believe they're absolutely morally superior and certain then and they're absolutely right they become like antifa well the it is why totalitarianism always ends in massive death bloodshed because if if you, you get to a point i've asked this question from the left and the right yeah Just let's imagine tomorrow you have your way and everybody you've elected is in and all that. you still have 50 percent of the country that doesn't agree with you. That's right. What are you going to do with them? Well, even, you know, this is most Marxists won't admit this, but Marx himself said you have to kill them. Uh, There has to be a terror. And they got this idea of the terror from, of course, the French Revolution and the aftermath. Uh, You know, they said that that is the model 
After a revolution, you must go on a terror spree. You must get rid of ideological opponents and you must get rid of the bourgeoisie if they cling to their bourgeoisie character. Otherwise, you know, if they're willing to convert, then fine. But uh, people for ha- are killed for having the wrong thoughts. It's, that's, that's basically what it comes down to. Now, this is a guy who claimed just a few years ago to be a communist. And in, you, you will understand it in this conversation that we, we have with him this weekend. His communism was more theoretical, I think. It was more, you know, next time we can do it right. You know, that's what you always hear. Well, they did it wrong. Next time we'll do it right. But it was, so it was theoretical. He believes in, you know, sharing and all of the stuff, the, the utopian stuff. That's all good. It's all good. But when he started to see how people are being shut down, how you're being isolated, how you're being chased out of the square, how you're being fired, what names you're being called, he realized they're going to kill. This is the way communism always begins it starts nice and then it goes wrong and he started to see the very first uh signs of this going wrong it's it's no longer uh hey you know we should be nice to each other we shouldn't we should say handy capable instead of handicap because it makes people feel good now it is shove and the next step is shoot if you don't do it they're gonna they're shoving people now you will do this and we'll shove you into that position and if not we'll banish you from society well the only thing left after that is shoot and he saw that happening and i i asked him you know these are all intelligent people how do these intelligent people start using these postmodern tactics here's what he told me One of the main things that has been inaugurated by the left is cultural relativism. Uh, And cultural relativism also brings with it a moral relativism. But the main thing about cultural relativism is that you can't, from from your culture... You're not allowed to criticize people of another culture because you're, in, you're, you're suggesting that your culture is better than theirs. And that's so when I meet I, and this actually happened, I met I asked for a meeting with people of Glad. This is when the height of uh, Ahmadinejad throwing people off the building, you know, gay people off, yeah, buildings, yeah. torturing them, killing yeah. them. Uh, Russia is starting to take driver's license away and and absconding people at night. And they're never seen again because they're homosexual. You can say, well, their culture is different, so I can't comment. Yeah. But we all know. Yeah. Killing is someone because they're homosexual yeah. is a no go zone. Yeah. How come they they won't make that step well there's another aspect to it not just the relativism the other thing is the enemy of my enemy is my my friend friend. and you're there you they are the enemy of you know western Western civilization yeah all right so intersectionality is how many times that's why basically how many yeah how many power vectors are intersecting you and subordinating you and does that give you the hierarchy once you have more vectors the lower you are the Mm -hmm. higher you are right this is why there's a race to the bottom in the oppression olympics as it's called uh rather derogatorily you want to rush to the bottom because when by the time you get there you're going to be on top. top 
this is a fascinating conversation and it is um part of the message of the book that came out yesterday addicted outrage it is this is a an in-depth explanation of some by somebody who has lived it and taught it and it's what gives me hope that things can change because a guy who was a published communist can come out and say, okay, wait a minute, wait a minute. This is going off the rails right now. And they are doing everything they can to destroy this guy. You need to hear his voice. You need to hear what he, what he can teach us. Because there's so much of this postmodern nonsense that our kids know. If you send your kid to college and they're coming home, they're coming home with a different language. They're coming home with with ways and uh, knowledge and a mission to deconstruct everything. And if you can't speak that language, if you don't know what those words are or mean, everything changes. You now look outdated. You now look like old mom and dad that just don't get it. And more importantly, I think we have to address this with our kids before we send them even to high school. Because it's all being taught, and they need to be aware of it and have the ammunition to fight against it before they encounter it. You think, you think they're lost? We're just as lost. Begin your journey to being able to fight this problem. Addicted to outrage, available in bookstores everywhere. For most Americans, their biggest investment is their home. It's the biggest thing they'll ever uh, they'll ever do. And Stu is, I mean, he's a, I mean, he loves to buy real estate. He just loves it. <laughs> oh, huge fan. Huge yeah. fan. I actually don't like to buy real estate because, <laughs> I know uh, I, you know, but I, it's something that we all have to do. I, I don't like being locked down. I mean, I want to, I want to keep the option of running away from you on the table I mean, at any moment and it's know. like a, a moment's notice i just want to be able to drop <sighs> everything and get out you bought your first house since we've been working together for for 20 years you you, you finally say okay i'm gonna settle down <laughs> i so want to fire you now just <laughs> just to, just for that just the torture just to, just to prove you shouldn't have bought a house too so this has been like a long time sleeper self yes you've lured me into a good relationship for 20 years yes it is just to fire me and ruin my life all right working with the right agent when you want to sell your house let's say you're Stu, and you're like he might be serious (laughs) you gotta sell your house how do you sell it for uh, for the most amount of money get every dime out of it that you possibly can and sell it in a timely fashion well we have over 1500 agents all over the country who are just like you their word is their bond, and they're experts at what they do. They're not part-time people. These are the agents that we have fully vetted. We have uh, looked at their, their record, their knowledge, their skill. They have to know where your house is, what is selling around your house, what it's selling for, and how to attract those people that are buying houses like yours. Realestateagentsitrust.com. Put them to the test. Thousands of people all across the country have and the, re- the results are are remarkable and you'll find them on the website realestateagentsitrust.com they'll help your family sell your home or buy your new home fast and for the right price it's realestateagentsitrust.com Glenn Beck 
Bill Gates says, my biggest fear is about what's coming next for this world. When asked about the challenges of global health security, what he fears most, he says what is uh, what is known as disease X, uh, the next unknown disease. We are not fully prepared for the next global pandemic, the threat of the unknown pathogen, highly contagious, lethal, fast moving. It is real. It could be a mutated flu strain or something else entirely, but we are not prepared. Okay, yesterday, the president took action to strengthen the nation's defenses against biological threats. For the first time in history, he says, the federal government has a national biodefense strategy to address the full range of biological threats. Mm -hmm. You won't see anybody connect these two stories because you're never going to see Bill Gates saying, okay, good, a positive step from this administration. Is there truth or only outrage? We'll prove the point. Glenn. And show you how to fight against it next. Glenn Beck is coming live to talk about the right path forward and to make fun of the people standing in the way. He might not be able to save the country, but at least we can all go down laughing. Glenn Beck Live, the Addicted to Outrage Tour. On tour this fall. Glenn Beck. Okay, this is the point where the Brett Kavanaugh saga becomes absolutely toxic. The Kavanaugh situation couldn't be any more flammable as it is, yet Senator Dianne Feinstein pulls out a flamethrower. Hey, everybody, look what I just got from Elon Musk. It is the favorite playground of outraged junkies. She says Republicans are trying to block an FBI investigation into the allegation of the California College professor Christine Ford that Kavanaugh has been accused of sexually assaulting at a high school party in 1982. Remember, her deal is we are trying to block an FBI investigation. Now, as a 126-year veteran of the U.S. Senate, you would think that Feinstein would know the kinds of things that the FBI can investigate but apparently you'd be wrong apparently she and many of her fellow democrats don't know perhaps they forgot or they have such little uh respect for the american people that they think you just don't know because you're just a bunch of hayseed hicks they just don't know what the fbi does you hear fbi and you're like oh they investigate everything the feds do not they're not in the habit of looking into suburban high school parties that happened in the 1980s really wait a minute cletus what to explain to america's lawmakers what the FBI does, the Justice Department had to issue a statement. It says the FBI does not make any judgment about the credibility or significance of any allegation. The purpose of a background investigation is to determine whether the nominee could pose a risk to the national security of the United States. This allegation does not involve any potential federal crime. So the Democrats were hoping for this epic, you know, Mueller-length investigation, risky business gate. Smarticus will appear. Unfortunately, they have to settle now for some testimony from Kavanaugh and Ford, which is scheduled for Monday. That is, if Christine Ford even agrees to show up. 
Late yesterday, her lawyer submitted a letter to the Senate Judiciary Committee requesting that law enforcement do a full investigation before anyone testifies. Oh, so we could delay some more. Democrats turned Kavanaugh's Senate Judiciary Committee hearing into an embarrassing circus of sad clown activists. Imagine what they might have up their sleeve or on their nose on Monday's testimony. The left is already billing this as a sequel to the 1991 Anita Hill-Clarence Thomas fiasco. Anita Hill herself wrote in the New York Times yesterday that the committee has a chance to do better by the country than it did three decades ago. you got to be kidding me. Does anybody even know the Clarence Thomas Anita Hill story anymore? Apparently not. But here's the good news. If there's one thing we've learned from Hollywood, it's that sequels made 30 years after the original usually really suck. It's Wednesday, September 19th. You're listening to the Glenn Beck Program. It's a big uh, point you're going to see online today and people uh, trying to make on Kavanaugh in that uh, Clarence Thomas had to deal with an FBI investigation when it came to Anita Hill. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Uh, that shows that there should be an FBI investigation. Sure, sure, sure. I think there was an important thing that happened yesterday, mm-hmm. which was the Kavanaugh thing turned from a Hail Mary, let's stop Kavanaugh at all costs for the Democrats, to a effort of let's just get a talking point for this election. I think because when you find out that she's not even going to show up to testify now, what you're getting now, they're just trying at this point to say to the people, they wouldn't even stop for an investigation. They just jammed this that guy through before we could even look into him. Do you believe this? This is who mm-hmm. the Republicans are. Vote for us. We're Democrats. Mm-hmm. I don't even at this point, I, I think they don't even think they have a chance to stop it. We could see some more theatric. She could show up in the courtroom on the day of, yeah, of the vote. Maybe. Who knows what's going to happen? But I think that's important. And when it comes down to... Um, the point you're going to see on, on online today, Clarence Thomas uh, did have an FBI investigation. The reason for that is because Anita Hill was a federal employee. The FBI has jurisdiction over these cases. They do not have jurisdiction over high school cases in other in, in Maryland in, in, in 1982. That's not what this is about. Anita Hill was a current federal employee. It happened during work at a federal office, allegedly. Um, so that was why the FBI was involved in that. It has nothing to do with what the, I think it was uh, Charles Cook who was at it. The FBI is not just like the super secret police that you call when you really want them. They have a jurisdiction just like everybody else. And Anita Hill was covered under that jurisdiction. And this new case with Kavanaugh is not. It's just a ploy to delay this. And, and at first it was a Hail Mary. I think now they realize that the bluff has been called. And you're seeing now, without her showing up, this should advance, but they'll still use it as a talking point in the election to try to see how show how evil Republicans are. You know are. what's incredible uh, to me is the way this all is being positioned. It looks as though she's just not going to. She's, she's a, a poor victim. And I want you to know, there's a chance that this is true. There's a chance this isn't true. I think there's a much, 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 much greater chance that it isn't true because the preponderance of evidence is astounding because there is no preponderance of evidence. There is no evidence. There's nothing. There's one word of one person against another person. Yeah, that's it. And so 
there's a very good chance this did not happen. But she's being um, uh, viewed and portrayed as somebody who, well, would you blame her for not going up on the uh, to the Senate to testify? Well, no, because, huh. you know, anybody's going to be torn apart. We know that because look what they're doing to Brett Kavanaugh. Mm-hmm. So you're going to be torn apart. But there is another uh, there is another viewpoint worthy of consideration. And that is. Stu. Remember when I was saying, oh, I want to testify. Remember they were talking about, you know, me testifying in front of Congress years ago. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, yes. Yeah, I believe uh, the person who was threatening you with that was Anthony Anthony Weiner. Right. And I was like, oh, yeah. 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 (laughs) Unleash me on the (laughs) Weiner. Wait. Oh, please pull that audio, Sarah. Thank you. (laughs) I assume you've already done it, but please, we'll need that for future reference. Do you remember that? Mm -hmm. Why did we say no? Why did all of the advisors say, don't stop, shut up? Well, it's, you know, it's a perjury trap. Usually there's some, they're doing something to get you to, you know, to, to, to embarrass yourself or, or blow the case or say something, misremember something. They can get you on anything. You perjure yourself in front of Congress it used to be a big deal. I'm not sure it is anymore for Democrats, yeah. but it used to be a big deal. And slightly different situation, but this was essentially Woodward's case in his book about Trump. Trump wanted to testify, wanted to go in front of Mueller, wanted to be interviewed, and his lawyers kept saying, they're just setting a trap for you. Because Trump was like, I didn't do this. I want to go, and, and, and I don't want the American people to see me as someone who was too scared to testify. And Dowd and his other attorneys, Ty Cobb, is look... You're looking at this completely wrong. This is their opportunity to catch you doing something new. This is not an opportunity for you to prove your innocence. This is a chance for them to create a new crime in which you will be in trouble for. Correct. And so, and, and that's the way, and that's yeah. the way it works with dishonest law enforcement. That is also the way it works with Congress, which is a political body. If this woman is smart, she is talking to her attorneys, and they're saying at least this. Okay, I believe you, but you have no facts. You don't know where it was. You don't really know who was in the room. You don't know how you got there. You have nothing. If you get on and suddenly remember something that isn't exactly right or gone against what you've already said, you can perjure yourself and don't think the Republicans won't nail you for perjury. Okay, that's the best case scenario from an attorney that says, I believe you 100%. So any attorney is saying, don't do this. But with as sketchy as this story is, most likely it's kind of the Perry Mason thing. Look, I can't defend you if you don't tell me the truth. You know, it's one of those things where the the attorney, I'm guessing, looks at this and says, there's nothing here. Now, maybe you believe it, but there is nothing here. So they're going to ask you questions. You're going to respond. If you respond, you could go to jail. If she knows that this isn't true, if this is a political uh, circus, purely political, it didn't happen, would you testify? No, of course. course I mean, you've done your 
job right yeah. in that circumstance. And look, I don't know that. It, I do believe it's purely political. That, I do too. I now, do too. Whether it's true or not, I mean, I don't think it is. I yeah. honestly am. I'm ninety five percent no. But again, I wasn't there. We don't know. If this same thing was happening to Elena Kagan, I would yeah, have said was, exactly the same thing. It's 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 just too suspicious. It's too suspicious. But again, if you are going to be a person who after 36 years is going to come forward with a claim that has zero support of evidence. The only thing we have is his word against yours. And it's a terrible way to decide this. But if you're going to do that, you have to at least supply your word. You have to believe. You, if this is going to do anything, you have to show up to this thing and tell your story. It's a terrible way to run a country to have 30 multiple, you know, 36 years later, have two people go on stage and do a little performance art. And we all have to figure out which one we like more. That's impossible. a terrible way to run a legal system. No, it's it's impossible. But you have to at least provide that part yeah. of it if you're if it's going to do anything at all. You know, what's amazing is how the Democrats now are saying they want to make sure that innocent people aren't going to jail. We there are so many people in jail. So many people have been wrongly accused that have gone through our system. So they're they're making this case now. And and I think rightfully uh, so. I mean, I think there are people on the right and the left that agree with that. They went through the system. So at the same time they're arguing that they're saying, oh, by the way, we shouldn't even have the system. We should, you know, let's have the FBI do something that they don't do. And let's just bring these people up and let's see which one performs better. Let's see which one's believable, which one's not. And let's convict a man. Whether he goes to jail, he's not going to jail. Let's convict him. Let's all call him a rapist, even though that's not even the charge. Does anybody remember what the charge was of Anita Hill against Clarence Thomas? What did she charge? More in a second. Simply Safe Home Security, a great home security system. If you are looking to protect your family, uh, protect your stuff in your house, I mean, um, you know, what are you going to do? You can um, hire, you know, Brinks or whoever, and they can come out and they'll come out and they'll sell you something. And I swear to you that you will chew your own arm off to get away from those. You'll sign anything. Just get out of my house, please. Then what happens is they sign you to a long uh, contract. You don't own the system. And you're going to be paying about 50 bucks a month for your security. Well, that's crazy. Why not skip the guys in the booties and the salesperson? Why not right now go to simplysafebeck.com? Simplysafebeck.com. You'll find the system that is right for your home, custom designed for your home. You own it. You are not going to believe the price of it. It is unbelievably affordable. Uh, you you install it. There's no wiring or anything. It's really just, you know, peel and stick. It's really simple. Uh, and then if you want the monitoring, you want it, let's say, around Christmas time because you've, you know, you're freaking out. There's, you know, stuff under the tree and people are trying to get in the house. You $14.99 for December. You don't want it in January. You don't have to have it. You are in complete control of your finances and your security. SimplySafeBeck.com. Go there right now. Get 10% off of your security system. It is simplysafebeck.com. Glenn Beck. Um, all right. What, is the, what does the average person know about Anita Hill, this champion for all women, and Clarence Thomas? I contend that they don't know anything about it, 
and that they look at Clarence Thomas through the lens of today. They're like, oh, he's Harvey Weinstein. He was, you know, hitting on women and everything. Okay. All right. The charge was that he made inappropriate jokes to Anita Hill. She was the only one. Now, this was the scandal in the 1980s. This was the scandal. And it's the 1980s. Not today. It's the 1980s. It's practically Mad Men time. Okay? When nobody had a problem making inappropriate jokes. I don't think Clarence Thomas is that man. Clarence Thomas, there is nothing in his life that shows that he's that kind of guy. But the thing was, you know, a piece of his hair was uh, on a Coke can. And uh, and he apparently said, yeah, that's a pubic hair. Oh, the humanity. Okay. That was how shocking, how shocked we were back then. That was it. Now, here is what Clarence Thomas said to defend himself in that hearing. Listen. I think that this today is a travesty. I think that it is disgusting. I think that this hearing should never occur in America. This is a case in which this sleaze, this dirt, was searched for by staffers of members of this committee, was then leaked to the media, and this committee and this body validated it and displayed it at prime time over our entire nation. How would any member on this committee, any person in this room, or any person in this country would like sleaze said about him or her in this fashion, or this dirt dredged up in this gossip and these lies displayed in this manner. How would any person like it? The Supreme Court is not worth it. No job is worth it. I'm not here for that. I'm here for my name, my family, my life and my integrity. I think something is dreadfully wrong with this country when any person, any person in this free country would be subjected to this. This is not a closed room. There was an FBI investigation. This is not an opportunity to talk about difficult matters privately or in a closed environment. This is a circus. It's a national disgrace. That was 1991. Could have said it today. The same people, the same tactics. Is is this who we want to be? Is this is this the way to get good people? To accept a nomination to the Supreme Court. Somebody asks you, you want to be on the Supreme Court? You have anything in your life, anything. No, you're Jesus. Tell me the difference between 
the trial of Jesus and what they're putting people through in Washington, D.C. They can say anything. Why didn't Jesus answer? I knew it would be turned around on him anyway. His answer didn't matter. Well, you say that I am. (laughs) You want to be the sacrificial lamb? You want to be the person that your children will read about, your grandchildren will read about, that you were a sexual predator? And there was nothing. The winners are the progressives when it comes to the universities. They are rewriting history right now. They're the ones that are going to write this history. Brett Kavanaugh will be known by his great-grandchildren long after he's dead, whenever they look him up, as a sexual predator. You want that? And this coming from the same group of people. I mean, I'm telling you, we we are at a point where somebody with decency is going to stand up and say, Senator, have you no shame? These are the people using the same tactics that they did during the McCarthy hearings. These people have a lower approval rating than gonorrhea. 5% more of the population think that we never went to the moon then think these guys are good all right i want to give you an update yesterday we talked a little bit about the uh, solar spot observatory uh that had been closed down if you if you're not familiar with the story uh in a nutshell it's a story about how um this this national observatory that is right by White Plains, very, very isolated, had a black helicopter show up and the FBI, and they raided the place. Now, nobody knows why. And they said, everybody's got to get out. Some of the people called in and called the sheriff and said, hey, can you please come and just witness this? Because we don't really know what's going on. No explanation was given. Then we find out later that they've evacuated this whole area, including the neighborhoods around it, people who just lived in the area, they were asked to leave. Now, there was, you know, well, it's solar activity, we're all going to die. Or, oh, that's because they spotted aliens and uh, the government's covering up. Okay, I don't believe either of those. It just, it just doesn't, it doesn't work. Why did the FBI raid this place <sighs> when they should be looking into high school you know, uh, rapists. Uh, why did the FBI raid this place? And how was a black helicopter involved? You don't just, you know, it's just like, hey, Bill, can I take the black helicopter for this? No. That's not a tool of the FBI. That's military. So why was the black helicopter involved? Okay, so yesterday they come out with a story and they say, hey, it was just that. You know, there was a guy up there doing some really bad things, and it put a lot of people in danger, and we wanted to make sure that they didn't find out about it. That's why we haven't released the information. Well, wait a minute. What do you mean you didn't didn't want them to find out about it? You have a black helicopter. If I'm doing something bad and the FBI shows up and a black helicopter, I think I'm pretty clear they might be on to me. 
unless the black helicopter and the FBI are coming after a lot of different people. If, if I'm surrounded by, a, you know, if I'm in a prison and we're all trying to escape, maybe I don't think that's about me. But if I'm with scientists and I'm doing something illegal and involves national security, I'm pretty sure they're on to me. So it just didn't make sense. So a Silicon Valley friend of mine writes to me last night. He's a he's a he's a tech type. Very, very smart. He says, Glenn, I want to give you my observation on this on this story. He said, I want to make it clear this is just a guess, but here's how all the pieces uh, fit together, at least in my head. Someone, maybe China or Russia, was using this observatory to pick up a signal with the help of someone at the observatory. You can't smuggle that out on a thumb drive. It's too slow and inefficient. You can't send it out on their Internet pipe because it would be discovered in a second. You can't send it out on cellular because that would get picked up, too. But what you could do is a short local hop that can't get detected outside of the area to somewhere very, very secluded and private. Then that person can send it out on a VPN wherever they want. Now, remember, the story is, is that the FBI, they came, they shut everything down, and then they started climbing up on the antennas. So what are they looking for on the antennas? This scenario makes sense, that someone was taking information and transmitting it out on a very, very low power, almost like a Bluetooth thing in a way, sending out very low power, which would leave the compound of the observatory, but then go to some house in the general area. Well, now that explains why they would get rid of everybody in the houses. And it explains the black helicopters, if you think this through. They shut it down. They want to see what was connected to the antenna or how this person was getting, you know, getting the information out. Then you, sh- you shut down the entire neighborhood and you keep everybody out until you've checked to see if there's a receiver in the area. You want to make sure that somebody doesn't stay behind and destroy the receiver. So why the Blackhawk? Because the Blackhawk was doing patterns over the neighborhood. Is it possible they were looking with infrared to check for people staying behind? This one actually makes sense to me. What actually happened, we don't know. Who's responsible at this point? We don't know. But at least, at least this theory is beginning to make sense. So I don't know if you've seen, but um, while uh, Maduro, the the uh, president of Venezuela, was um, uh, was having dinner the other day, uh, he solved the economic problems of Venezuela. Now he was out having a uh, uh, steak. This steak, oh, good for him. Yeah, this steak cost him two hundred and thirty-five dollars. Now that's not because of inflation. <laughs> Those are American dollars. He paid two hundred and thirty-four American dollars for a steak for him in a restaurant. I I think I know what you're saying. You're saying good for him. 
take a moment after your incredible leadership yes. and rise from a normal everyday yeah. bus driver to these heights of of leading this incredible glorious socialist revolution uh reward yourself people are, people are literally eating doctors lawyers eating wait they're eating doctors and lawyers no, oh. no. doctors and oh. lawyers people who are very successful and yeah. wealthy are having one meal a day and many people are eating cats dogs they've already eaten the animals in the zoo and they're down to now rats yeah. that the people are eating huge amounts of people have left as well um millions Many of them, doctors and lawyers, in uh, going to other islands and becoming sex workers, right? Uh, hundreds of thousands, by the way, have come to the United States in this process as well. Hundreds of thousands of Venezuelans, Venezuelans escaping uh, that regime have come here. Uh, and they've come from, they've gone all over the, the, the hemisphere, really. And it's terrifying. And it's, it's so amazing to look at how far we've come so fast it is not that long ago that people like Sean Penn were visiting and praising, you know, Hugo Chavez, uh, Danny Glover, uh, the, you know, Michael Moore. These people who were telling us that this was the future and that this our experiment was uh, failing, was failing compared to theirs. And it was a very common conception. I think we have a montage. Uh, this one came from Mike, Sarah, I think, uh, audio uh, montage uh, about some of the comments from Venezuela from a few years back. L- listen to some of these. Venezuelans head to the polls this Sunday, and President Hugo Chavez is almost certain to win re-election. He's apparently as popular at home as he is unpopular with so many people in this country. He's made Venezuelans feel proud to be Venezuelan again. And that is something I think mm. that, that really no other leader has ever done in that country before in fact they were doing the opposite here we go in venezuela in 2002 we were much if we had succeeded in iraq i do believe that mr chavez would have been under even more pressure it's the most colorful media that they're there you can say anything you want in venezuela they have a better election process than we have wolf hugo chavez is a thorn in the side of the u.s but polls in venezuela show that that's going to continue he is one of the most important forces we've had on this planet. And I will wish him nothing but that great strength he has shown over and over again. I do it in love, and I do it in gratitude. My friend, President Chavez. He made headlines when he stood before the United Nations and told President Bush the devil. No lo había previsto, me salió del corazón. I didn't plan to call him a devil. But it came from my heart. And if it comes from my heart, then that's because for me, it's true. Well, no one else is Hugo Chavez. There's not two Hugo Chavez's in the world, never mind in Venezuela. Thank God. Now, remember, there, there was, you remember how much they loved that whole devil thing? Mm-hmm. <laughs> they loved that. They loved that Bush was, it was salt, smelled of sulfur. sulfur. Remember mm-hmm. this? Um, and, you know, people were making trips down there and praising this regime and the, the system behind it. That was only you know what, ten years ago or less. Some of these, some of those quotes were for even more recent than that. In fact, if you go back and you look at popular culture, you will see, as we we will show you here in the show Parks and Recreation, <laughs> there was a uh, there was a whole episode that was building the the economy of Venezuela up. Yeah, I, and the, denigrating us. The concept was, and it's you know it's a funny show, and it was a funny episode. Um, but it was the concept was the Parks and Rec Department had the Parks and Rec Department from Venezuela, their sister city, some city in Venezuela, come visit them 
And, they, you know, it's just one of these dumb uh, government things. And it was interesting to see because you saw the, 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 the streams they went down with the comedy. They were militaristic. They were chauvinistic. They were, you know, dismissive. But one of the big threads was how great it was in Venezuela as compared to the United States. They were they couldn't believe how bad it was in the United States because Venezuela was so good. Listen to this. This is only from a few years ago. This is um, let's start with um, Venezuela doesn't have budget issues. <laughs> think of the state of, of the affairs down there right now. This is how this was being portrayed to the American public just a few years ago. Listen, I'm trying to turn a giant dirt pit into a community park. But I need $35,000, and the city doesn't have enough money in its budget. I do not understand. You've never had a budget shortage? (laughs) (laughs) That was this Marxist philosophy. Venezuela is blessed with massive oil reserves. Massive and tremendous, like you would not believe. (sighs) The state sells the oil and keeps all the money, and, and we build whatever we want. Wow, well... Now I do not understand. <laughs> I feel like my English was very clear. But I repeat, Venezuela, Venezuela, my country, has a lot of oil. Oil is food for cars. The Venezuelans are very confident people. <laughs> so, uh, again, like that, they, they've never faced a budget crisis. They don't even understand it. Um, remember Venezuela when we were going through uh, a. A heating oil crisis, Venezuela, through the Kennedys, if you remember mm-hmm. right, were giving the United States free oil for free heating for for oil. for poor communities mm-hmm. in the Northeast, and it was all from Sitco. Ken- Kennedy was doing commercials, yes, uh, for the Venezuelan government, basically yes. propaganda, yeah. uh, to say how much they were helping us. Uh, here's another clip from uh, Parks and Rec. This is when the delegate uh, comes after their town called Pawnee. We are also sister cities with Kaesong, North Korea. Their town is far nicer. We haven't been here for a very long time, but what we have seen is really, from the bottom of our hearts, truly depressing. Really, really sad stuff. It's funny because Antonio said to me, can we turn this car around and say we're sick or something or that we lost our way? Of course, that would be rude to you. <laughs> All right, and this is, uh, they actually go to visit the park. Now, the concept of the show at the beginning is, is that there's this big pit, dirt pit, and she wants to turn it into a park. So she brings uh, the Venezuelan delegation. Not to the dirt pit. Right. But to a very nice park in mm-hmm. America. Here's that clip. Here we are. Take it in, boys. This is an embarrassment to America. I'm sorry? You are right to want to correct this. Correct what? This is the giant pig of dirt you were telling us about, is it not? The one you want to turn into a park? No, no. <laughs> this is already a park, and it's one of our best loved parks. Why are the trees so small? They're not that small. Besides, size doesn't matter. Yes, it does. Our trees are huge. We build tunnels through them. The parks <laughs> in Barajo are far superior. The park in my hometown, El Parque del Este, we have a monorail, and we have an aquarium. And <laughs> we have the Haripa Amphitheater, it's huge. Lady Gaga played there last week. Great. Well, we don't have Lady Gaga. And I don't think she's going to come here unless her career takes a very bad turn. But we have something more beautiful than Lady Gaga. Democracy. Right. Right. But let's make sure that everyone knows that 
the Marxism and the utopia, the socialist utopia that is Venezuela is thriving while we are not. Mm, until they're not. Just a few short later, a few short years later, and no one is being held uh, accountable for their shower of praise for Hugo Chavez and the plan of bringing uh, Venezuela into the leadership of the world. Sponsor this half hour, American Finance. As uh, summer fades to fall, recent market shifts could bring home buyers a leg up on the latter part of the year. If you're still looking for a, uh, a home, now is the, really the time to buy. Um, the inventory of homes now has risen 5.7%, meaning there are more homes out there. Uh, and this slight change gives you, as a buyer, um, less competition. You know, and everybody's eager to get to the closing table before the holidays, so it's going to give a serious buyer more leverage. Now is the time to pick up the phone and call American Financing. If you're looking for a home, they have access to every loan in the industry, and they can help you with even finding a down payment assistance. Now, American Financing, they have salary-based mortgage consultants. They do not work on commission. They work for you. They have an A-plus rating with the BBB and over 1,800 Google reviews. They offer e-sign so you can complete all the documents, you know, on your schedule at your home. There's no upfront fees, and they'll customize a loan program and term to fit your financial needs. Call American Financing now at 800-906-2440. That's 800-906-2440 or online at AmericanFinancing.net. American Financing Corporation, NMLS 182334, www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org. You know, we failed to mention the uh, upside, as, you know, conservatives usually do. Only give you one side on Venezuela. I, you know, I told you about, um, you know, the Venezuelan people, you know, only eating one meal a day if they're lucky. Some people are eating animals and et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but they have fixed it. Maduro did fix this by raising the minimum wage. He raised it 3,000%. That fixes the problem also put 40% of all businesses out of business overnight. Glenn Beck. Mercury. Glenn Beck is coming live to talk about the right path forward and to make fun of the people standing in the way. He might not be able to save the country, but at least we can all go down laughing. Glenn Beck Live, the Addicted to Outrage Tour. On tour this fall. Glenn Beck. You know, on yesterday's program, we told you about the algorithms now that can predict if you're white. And it was things like, you know, you, you buy English muffins and you own a flashlight means you're white. If you don't have a pet, 60% chance you're white. So let me ask you this. Could we reverse this? If someone were to suggest that one segment of society might be more predisposed to speak loudly during a movie or frequent red lobster, would you be deemed racist? If so, what's the difference here? Does it do any good to ignore data and facts? Let's say I'm a business and I want to make a video and I want it to appeal to a broad swath of customers. Well, 
now I'm not going to show people making English muffins in a toaster, right? That's good to know. But is it okay to do this now? Could we ask the tech companies and academia, are we doing stereotypes now? Is there something that, you know, are you, is there a newsletter that can be sent out every day that, you know, can keep me abreast on what's okay and what's not okay? Is it okay for Facebook to make money running ads to people who like English muffins or to sell ads just targeting males? Now, you're in business. You want to appeal to males because you know they buy your product or you're you're an employer and you want to target females because they're the most likely to do this job. Is it okay to do that? Yesterday, ACLU filed a charge with the EEOC alleging that Facebook violated labor and civil rights laws by allowing employers to target ads to mostly younger men, to the exclusion of mostly older women, and, of course, that uh, ever-wonderful gender non-binary job seeker. So what was the ad? Well, one of them was an ad uh, from a roofer from a company called Enhanced Roofing and Remodeling, and it was targeted to men 23 to 50 in Silver Springs, Maryland. Okay? Now, if you're trying to hire a roofer, odds are, I mean, I'm sure there is the odd old lady that does want to get up on the roof and do roofing in the summer in Maryland, but should I be forced to advertise To try to find that one old lady that still wants to do roofing because it reminds her of her childhood? Or should I target the people with the money that I have that I believe and I generally know through data are the ones that are going to take that roofing job? If you work on an oil rig in the Yukon, can you tell me why I should have to pay to advertise to elderly old ladies? If I'm on Broadway and I need somebody to, you know, uh, in the chorus line, should I should I be required to advertise to appeal to old elderly men? I mean, because I'm sure there's an old elderly man out there that wants to be in the chorus line. We've gone insane We've gone insane. And all of this chaos is deconstruction. All of this is just to make it impossible for the Western way of life to actually function. What happens if we st- if if, uh, you know, if 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 you do have to advertise to people that are not generally speaking interested in your product companies can't afford to advertise capitalism breaks down and that is the goal and so we get mad about it and we start because we don't know what else to do okay all right i shouldn't get mad about it 
But somebody's got to stop it. You're exactly right. But by studying the enemy, and I mean the enemy being anyone who wants to destroy the Western way of life and the modern world, math, science, reason. Yes, they are the enemy. How do we identify them? What stops us from identifying and what tactics do they use? That's where we begin this hour. It's Wednesday, September 19th. You're listening to the Glenn Beck Program. Okay, so where did all of this... Where did all of this outrage come from? Because it's, 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 it's truly a brilliant system that has flipped this thing upside down and made the conservatives look like the angry ones. Okay? That we're the ones that have started this outrage. No, 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 we're not. Because you have to look at what kind of outrage people are expressing every day. Just on today's program, we have talked about how many different stories, Stu, that are not outrageous, beginning with Bert and Ernie are gay. And Frank Oz, the guy who designed and created Bert and Ernie, saying, no, they're not. They're just good friends. They, they are two people that I put together, that I made out of felt, I want to remind you, that are like the odd couple. They're two people that don't agree, but it teaches kids that we can live together side by side. Well, that's not good enough. People were outraged yesterday when he said this. They must be gay. Wow, that seems pretty worthless. They're puppets. Is that real outrage? Is that coming from the left or from the right? Well, that's coming from the left, right? The outrage is coming from the left. Okay. And so how do we respond? Usually either laughing uh-huh. very hard at them uh-huh. or, you know, getting a little angry at the way mm-hmm. the world is turning into insanity. Okay. How how effective has been laughing at them? How effective has that been? It feels good. Feels good. But, how effective has it been? It doesn't change a lot of minds. No, it doesn't change anything. In fact, they don't care. They don't care. We, by us dismissing this and saying, you know, it's just a bunch of few crazies. Look at how a few crazies have changed the world. We just laugh and say they're pathetic. They're ridiculous. There's just a few of them. And there are just a few of them. This is just a very powerful group of people, but it's very small. We laughed at them. We dismissed them. And look where we are now. So now we've been pushed to the wall and we get angry. But let's look at outrage here for a second. And this is part of the book that was released yesterday. I urge you to pick it up for you and a friend, Addicted to Outrage. Let's just look at, at the, the three different or four different kinds of outrage. There are actually three. It leads to the fourth. Outrage that signals virtue. This is chapter three. 
one of the most effective ways to demonstrate one's own social value is by wearing the trappings of outrage on behalf of others, especially if the others are in a minority social group. The earlier you are and the more loudly you demonstrate that you're outraged that some or another group has been wronged, the more virtue you demonstrate. Got it? If you if you want to build yourself up, if you want to be popular, all you have to do is signal virtue. And that requires you to be the leader and the most loudless, uh, the, uh, the, the, the most uh, uh, loud voice in the room. Next, outrage as a shield. Another reason why it's effective is because it acts as a shield from judgment. If you are morally outraged, it functions as a mechanism to protect the purveyors of the outrage against any evaluation of their own actions, tactics, honesty, or morality. Now think of this. Use uh, uh, Brett Kavanaugh. The people who are outraged that the Republicans could just go on and dismiss this woman. They are so outraged that Brett Kavanaugh might or might not have done this. It stops any charges of saying, wait a minute, this is this is immoral what you're doing. Don't you talk to me about morality. I don't see you standing up for the woman. Right? So it acts as a shield. If you are outraged, the outrage excuses you from having to tell the truth or exhibiting any moral behavior. It just opens up the runway. Next, outrage as a weapon. Outrage is also an exceptional weapon that can pierce the armor of nearly any foe. It's like a bow with three magically tipped arrows. Shame, guilt, and fear. Moral outrage expressed against opponents can strike them with any one or all three of these instruments at any given time. The instant that someone outside of your tribe slips up, says or does something that you think has the slightest chance to to work to your advantage, if you can paint them as insensitive, racist, politically incorrect, outdated, judgmental, insulting to a protected class or group, that person has opened up the opportunity to attack with a weapon that they cannot possibly resist. So look at this again. What happened? Signaling virtue. Outrage one. I cannot believe. I cannot believe Brett Kavanaugh wants to take away birth control. And he's a guy who has raped a woman. And if you don't see this, you are a bad human being. Wait a minute, wait a minute. He's not going to take away birth control. Are you telling me that you're supporting the guy who uh, you have no sympathy for this woman who has come to the table? You have no sympathy. You are so hard-hearted that you can't see her plight. That is shield from a moral judgment. But it also is, I'm going to inflict fear into you. 
I'm going to drive fear deeply into you by shaming you, by guilting you, by calling you out. So now there's two targets. Now there is Brett Kavanaugh and you. And you can't do anything about it because they have the arrows of shame, guilt, and fear. And they have the shield. And they have already projected themselves to the world as the knight in shining armor. So, first thing we have to do, before you look to dismantle it, you have to understand what happens to the person that is doing that. What happens to the person that is addicted to outrage in the way that I've just described? Now, see if this doesn't fit the way you look and understand or feel about the left. And I probably would assume that they feel this way about us. What happens to that person? Who are they after they've used all three of those tactics of outrage? I'll describe that person. And tell me it's not spot on the money in a minute. July 2017, Bitcoin down 40%. Bitcoin and cryptocurrency expert Tika Tuari came in. He's with the Palm Beach Letter. He came in with an announcement. He said, oh, they're going to bring enormous amounts of money into Bitcoin. Now, Bitcoin was trading at about 1850 and it was falling. And he said, Bitcoin's going to hit 10,000 by the end of the year. And people, it was nuts. We're in the middle of a horrific bear market. But by the end of the year, Bitcoin hit $20,000. Now, the same thing is happening again. Bitcoin is, uh, has, has, has lost all this money. It, it, people are starting to say, well, I don't know if it matters. And he comes and says, Bitcoin could be worth $40,000 or more by Christmas. I don't see how this is going to happen, but he stands by it. He says there's a big jump coming, and he can lay out the reasons why. Well, you should probably know those reasons why, and you should know what it is. And even $100 in Bitcoin is a very smart thing, because this is like a... I don't know. It's, I think it's bigger than AT&T 1920. You know, it's better. It's bigger than that. Um, this is this is, you know, bigger than almost investing in plastics in 1920 or 1930. Because cryptocurrency, I believe, is the future. Blockchain is the future. Well, what are those things? May I suggest you take a course? Uh, we asked Tika to develop a course just for you to explain these things. Everybody should take this course. It's smartcryptocourse.com. Uh, uh, smartcryptocourse.com. Take it now or call 877-PBL-BECK. 877-PBL-BECK or smartcryptocourse.com. All right. So outrage first signals virtue. Next it shields that person from any moral judgment themselves, and it provides the greatest weapon that can pierce anyone who disagrees. But here's what it does to the person using outrage as this tool. Listen to this. This is, um, uh, this is page 22 of Addicted to Outrage. By far the most destructive out uh, aspect of outrage addiction 
is that over time, it tends to overtake and replace the addict's identity. They surrender the responsibility of developing a caring, rational human persona. Hallmarks of genuine and healthy human personalities tend to be smothered below a facade of impulsive, manic, emotional responses driven by the addiction. Rather than actual empathy for the misfortune or suffering of others, addicts respond with oversized and obnoxious levels of self-righteous indignation, always scattering blame against the alleged perpetrators of the crime, against some victims or against humanity itself. Rather than quiet, reasoned introspection, addicts instead make a grossly obvious grand spectacle of their sympathy and protestations that bespeaks their inner disquiet and self-loathing. Wrongdoers didn't simply make a mistake. They've acted in a subhuman manner and must be castigated from the tribe, fully and wholly shamed in the public square, ostracized from the group, and ultimately destroyed. Only this victory will fill the void, the hole that has been left in the moral outrage addict, the hole left by the absence of an actual human soul. This is why outrage addiction is so dangerous to our culture and to mankind. It deprives human beings of genuine humanity, replacing it instead with an outwardly facing caricature of the virtuous human being wrapped around a rotting corpse. Look, it's not that all, all outrage is wrong all the time. There are times, of course, when outrage is perfectly appropriate and reasonable as a response to actions we see in others. As with any addiction, the problem is not the chemical or the behavior itself of the addiction. America isn't having an opioid crisis because opioids are inherently bad or evil. It's the abuse and the involuntary need of the object of the addiction. The unhealthy dependence upon the thing in order to feel or to function. Expressing moral outrage has become the automatic compulsive response to anything that we see or hear that challenges our tribe's beliefs. And instantly and automatically supports the outrage of others is even more important. That's the concerning thing. Moral outrage is simultaneously a, bad of, a badge of honor and a shield against any objective judgment. And that makes it destructive and divisive. Outrage addiction has replaced constructive dialogue and suppressed genuine empathy and warmness. It's no wonder suicide has become the 10th leading cause of death in America. Because we don't have any authentic conversations anymore or express actual sympathy when others are suffering or being abused. We only express outrage instead. Find out the key and the cure. Addicted to outrage. Available everywhere now. Welcome to it. It is Wednesday. We're in Los Angeles, California, which is... Whew. Yeah, it's been it's been interesting because uh, you know you, we get up and get in the car, uh, come to the uh, studio, and it's been interesting to hear uh, Mr. Egomaniac uh, over here uh, listen to his own voice, uh, his own audiobook the entire time on the way to work. You know, and when you do a- thirty five hours of work, it's kind of nice to listen to it to see how. You know what I found out? I found out. Oh, this drives me crazy, and it's your fault that I'm mentioning it now. Uh, I found out they've edited. Stuff out of my own book because they well, they, 
Yeah, they did not yeah. edit yeah, 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 stuff yeah. out of your book. No, they added. They, they well, edited me, y- y- me y- being me. They edited you singing. No, out of they, the audio yes. book is what they you're said. Saying. There's, there's at one point I'm talking about you know Lederhosen and singing Edelweiss, <laughs> and I said so you know I dress up uh, you know in Lederhosen and I sing Edelweiss, Edelweiss, mm-hmm. which makes it kind of humorous. Mm-hmm. The uh, producers in New York, uh, can you do that again and not sing? <laughs> no. Well, we need you to recut it. Okay. So I dress up in uh, uh, Lederhosen, and I sing Edelweiss. <laughs> they cut that line out of the book. It's it's written in the book. It's not in the audio book. It's really, it hacks me off. It hacks me off. And I know it's the only line, because that's the only line in the book they just couldn't handle for some reason or another. Is it possible they did not like your singing voice? Is that is that a consideration? I don't know. I don't know. Uh, but the audiobook is really is really good. I'm I'm really proud of it. Yeah, and, and you haven't done an audiobook by yourself in long time. Long time, yeah. right? I mean, I, 10 years. Jesus. It takes 35 hours oh. for 15 hours of of audio time. I, I did uh Pat and I split up one of your audiobooks that we did. Um Arguing with Idiots, I think it was. Yeah, um and it Oh my gosh! It's it takes forever, yeah. and they just are all over you because no, they weren't with me. Yeah, with you, you they let you do whatever yeah. you want, I guess. No. But, well, well, except for except singing, for singing Edelweiss. But they would like they'd watch every word and make sure you you yeah. hit every word exactly, and, and it's not conversational um, uh, unless you do it by yourself, which this yeah. one is, and it's it's very it's it's a different uh, thing. It's it's almost like a really extended deep. A version of the radio show where you have all yeah. the research right in front of you, and it, it, it's, it's really, really, it's, it's really, it's really the the uh, audiobook is, uh, I think, really good. It's interesting. I, I was listening to it this morning, and I went, mm, "That's not in the book," because uh, I, I, I just read it. You know what I mean? Uh, but I read it. I, I, I. It is really weird. I've been in broadcast for forty years, and I trained myself to read the line ahead. So somebody could hand me something cold to read, and the goal was when I was, you know, 15 years old, I would sit with a newspaper, and I would try to read the newspaper, but put it into my own words cold the first time. So when I try to read stuff, and I do this all the time, when you hear me trying to read stuff verbatim on the air, I I, I sound like an idiot. I can't do it. Because my I, I've trained myself not to do that. And so when I try really hard to read something verbatim, it, it doesn't work. This is incredible news to me as someone who's written for you for 20 years, uh, that you can't actually read the words written for you. <laughs> right. That is a, a no, news but, flash but, in my world. But be honest, you can write stuff for me. And whenever we would have a new teleprompter person, they're tell the teleprompter, you'd have to be next to them going, move, move. He's already just said yeah. that. Mm-hmm. It's I haven't said that. He's t- translated it and <laughs> yes, on, the fly, on the fly and made up, uh, you know, gone on a tangent. Correct. And, yeah, exactly. Move on. He's already done. He's gone. He's past that now. Yeah. So that you get you get a lot extra, I guess, out of the audiobook. Yeah, if, you, you if you're do. a person who listens to those, it's a great one to get because you there's a lot of, you know, you, you listen would, to the it, professionals it, do it. And not to call you unprofessional, but like the professional audiobook readers do a great job at enunciating and and the fundamentals of saying every single word perfectly. You uh, get into the Russians a little. It's a little dicey. Yeah, it's a little dicey. But I mean, there's personality in it, though. Yeah. Like, and I think yeah. uh, I think people will really like it if they like the yeah. show. So definitely worth getting. Okay, so uh, there's a test in this, and this this is this comes from you know I'm an alcoholic. 
And uh, when I first started to think, you know, maybe I might have a problem. You know, that's a pretty good sign. And everybody in, in AA says, you know, if you're thinking that, you probably got a problem. Because most people aren't like, I think I might have a problem. I might be an alcoholic. You're not thinking that unless you're spending a lot of the time going, I love you. You, you, you know, you, you are just the greatest. And you're the chief of police. And that's your conversation with the people in the jail. I mean, it just... You know, you got a problem. You start to think, mm, I might have a problem. So I went online and I, I tried to find, is there a questionnaire that I can take that says, you know, do you think you might be an alcoholic? Well, there is. There's lots of tests. So I took this test and I, I wrote it. Now, I don't want you to answer this for you. Actually, I, I want you to answer this in two ways. I want you to answer this for you. And then I want you to answer it. Uh, for the left, or vice versa if you're on the left. Answer it for the other side. Okay? Answer these questions. Do you, are you addicted to outrage? One, do politics or social media occasionally make you say and do things you regret afterwards? Answer for both sides. The other side? And you? Oh my gosh! I mean, you know, the other side, I, whether they have regret or not, right. uh, it's questionable. But right. I mean, I think everybody gets in that position where they you, know, you say point. things, and you're like, ah, I wish I put that a different way, or yes. I, why did I? I got too mad, you know, yelling at my cousin over some dumb right. comment they said on Facebook. Like right. that happens. Okay. Do do people often recommend that you might cut down or stop consuming so much news or social media? Uh, married to um, uh, America's number one social media user, yeah, uh, she would say yes to that because it's usually me whining about it. Uh, do you speak in absolutes more often than you did five years ago? Meaning, mm. uh, is this group evil or is this group good? Is this person absolutely 100% wrong and a traitor? Is that the same way you would have referred to people five, ten years ago? Um, have you avoided friends, places, or events because of politics? Absolutely. Oh, man. Yeah, gosh. I, there's everybody. I, I, I know tons of people who block certain people from their feed, yeah. who will avoid talking. To, I mean, then you're missing all their life updates, too, yeah. right? I mean, but yeah. you just how many people whining have, about politics all the time. Shut up. Get out of my face. How many people have lost contact with their parents or their best friends? Oh. Uh, would you be disappointed if your children treated others the same way you do in your political interactions? Wow. Think, think of your five worst tweets or Facebook comments and picture your kids saying them. And I can definitely, I mean, can you imagine, think of like, you know, think of the people you see on the left uh, that are threatening people's lives. And here's a really good one. Think of Debbie Wasserman Schultz when asked the question, were your children children before they were born? I I thought of that so many times. She's on videotape. Her children are going to get older and they're going to hear their mom not willing to answer if they were babies if they were children when they were in her womb how weird is that Mm. um does your circle of online political allies include people that you're not completely comfortable being aligned with 
do you does it feel great when someone attacks your political opponent? Do you find yourself defending your political allies by pointing out the other side does the same thing? Have you ever decided to give up social media only to fail within a few days or a few hours? <laughs> Have you defended the behavior? <laughs> you had an interview that uh, you taped yesterday uh, with Ben Shapiro. Yeah. And you asked, so you talked about that particular thing. And he yeah. said, hey, you know, I think he said he tried to give up Twitter for, for one, one day, day one day and couldn't, couldn't even come it. close. Yeah, couldn't come close. Have you defended <laughs> behavior in others that you would never accept in your own life or the life of your family? Is the way you treat people online inconsistent with the way you, you treat people in person? Have you often taken actions designed only to trigger the emotions of someone you have disagreed with? So, in other words, oh, you just said that I'm going to get you or you're, you're trolling, right? Yeah, or you're trolling. And that's yeah. them controlling your life. Yes, like you're, you're letting their reactions control what you do. It's, it, it's, it's amazing because that's what the Russians are doing to all of us. Uh, have you said things that would have made you uncomfortable hearing someone else say five years ago? Would your life be better without the political arguments or comments on social media? That's one. Oof. When answering these questions, did you use the importance of the political cause to justify any of the negative behavior? That's an important one. Have you reevaluated your standards or are you supporting and defending actions or ideas that you would have never supported just five years ago? Do you definitely believe that all or most of the media sources on the right or the left rarely tell the truth knowingly or unknowingly and that they are dangerous and perhaps should be shut down and regulated by the government if you answer yes one to five times you might be approaching a problem if you answer yes six to ten times you got a problem politics is dominating your life if you answered yes 11 or more times, I just have to be straight with you. Most people that interact with you don't like you. They just don't. They just don't like you. OK, that's the straight truth. You might think they do, but they really don't. They'll they'll claw their own arm off to get away from you. I'm sorry, Rachel Maddow. I know you got I mean, 14 or 15 there. So but it's it's not good for you. Now, here's the other thing. And you brought this up because we were listening to this in the car this morning. Um, you brought up now. Judge the other side. Did you say yes to almost all of those for the other side? Yeah, I think I think I would. Uh, I think you know at least twelve to fifteen of those I would have said yes when I'm describing right. the left. I would say yes, and certainly I would have. I did better on the quiz than they did <laughs> when right. I answered the questions. And I I don't know what that says about me. I mean, I guess maybe I'm not fairly judging them. Maybe they are worse. I think there are there's good evidence, right, that uh, some people on the left. If particularly in this time, yeah, uh, are, are, go a lot further. Mm -hmm. But that you know that doesn't. I don't want any element of what they do in my life. Right. Like even if I'm, I am a little bit more successful and uh, controlling myself at times than I think they are. I don't want. I don't want any of that in there. I don't want the way they approach and react to things to be part of my calculus. On it's a kind of basis. like the badge of merit with George Washington, the original Purple Heart. The only way we're going to win is if we are a virtuous, moral, and uh, and uh, religious people. Wasn't religious it? people, yeah. people who uh, are caught doing good things, not caught doing bad things. We are people of merit. 
Um, that's the reason why we, that's the reason why we won the Revolutionary War. There's there's one other question that is not in the book that I'd like to answer or like to ask. When you heard this poll at any time, did your anger build up? You were angry at any of the questions or angry that these questions are being posed, angry that you you would be accused of feeling any of these things, even though I asked you to ask yourself and about others, assuming that you were good. If you had the anger rise up in you, that also is a sign. You know, maybe we should all go to AA for uh, a minute and just get a handle on this. Why? Because our outrage stops us from reason. And that is the goal of the postmoderns. They, the postmodernist wants to destroy reason, science, facts, discussion. That's what we're missing in America. And outrage keeps us from it. All right. Sponsor this half hour is uh, Filter By. Uh, Filter By is... Um, is this great company that that uh, makes filters all here in, in America, in a small town here in America, in the South, and uh, it was it was actually a company. Do you remember what they were originally? It was a company that was started by this guy's uh, this guy's wife's grandfather, and they employed a bunch of people in the town. It's this old factory, and you know people, you know nobody's buying that particular item from factories anymore. This guy worked up in Wall Street and, you know, his wife said, this is my grandfather's factory and the whole town kind of works there. What do we do? And so they bought it and they took it and retooled it. He did study what what is the best thing we can do? What is what is the need in America? And they came up with uh, filter replacements that are made here in America and can be shipped right to your house and, and really even shipped uh, without you ordering, you order once and you say, I want to be on the automatic list. And it knows, <clears throat> you know, you tell it what what uh, system you have and what filters you need. And, you know, whatever the instructions say, you know, you have to replace them every six months or whatever your your air handling system says, they automatically ship them. So that's it's a no brainer. It's really inexpensive. They ship for free. Custom options are available. It saves you time, it saves you money, and it saves you wear and tear on your air handling system. Filter by. Stop procrastinating. Do it right now. Go to filterby.com. Filterbuy.com. Hey, make sure you sign up for the uh, Glenn Beck podcast wherever you get your, uh, your podcast. Make sure you download Rate and Review. That's really important. The rating and reviewing process on podcasts and, hint, hint, even books uh, helps people discover it. Uh, and so the the more ratings we get, the more reviews we get, the more people that can go and discover it. Anyway, um, sign up for the podcast. You can do it at iTunes or wherever. Uh, this weekend, you're getting an extra. You're getting the Glenn Beck podcast, which is different than the radio program. On Saturdays, you will be getting an, an extra two hours of original content and it is it's me interviewing people that I think you should meet. These are kind of conversations that are very different. They're uninterrupted. Uh, and it is a it's a conversation uh, with people who are, I believe, honest and open this weekend. A guy who was a professor at NYU who was a communist 
and recently has had his eyes opened and is now exposing everything that happens behind the curtain. You don't want to miss it. Glenn Beck Podcast. Sign up for it now. Mercury. 